Good morning, guys. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad to see all of you this morning. Um, if you want to uh, turn to Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles, that's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 22. We're in week five of a series called Encounters uh, with Jesus. It's up there in the top left-hand corner. How convenient. Um, encounters with Jesus. Basically, it's like dealer's choice. It's a, kind of a playground for preachers. It's like, just preach something where somebody's encountering Jesus. Um, and so, here we go. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Um, it's probably going to be familiar to a lot of you. Um, uh, I, I want to I pray before we begin, um, because this is uh, going to be challenging to a lot of us this morning, I, I feel like. Um, and so, um, if you would just enter into a posture of prayer with me. Lord Jesus, we want to encounter you this morning. We don't want to read about encountering you this morning. We want you, by the power of your spirit, to encounter us. I know I'm not alone in this. And so um, we ask that you would be present with us here this morning. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are soft to receive the good news of the gospel and the challenge of the gospel. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, who together with the Father and the Spirit rule and reign the universe, one God now and forever. Amen. Encounters with Jesus. Well, who are we encountering? Who is this that we're encountering when we encounter Jesus? Just as a reminder, if you weren't here uh, the last couple of weeks, it's gotten hit on, but I just want to re remind us that when we encounter Jesus, whenever we are reading the Gospels, whenever we hear a story about Jesus passed down to us, who we are encountering, we're actually encountering what God is like. That's who we're encountering when we encounter Jesus. Jesus, the church confesses, is fully God. 100% God, and at the same time, we are also encountering deepest, truest humanity, is what, because Jesus, the church confesses, is 100% human. He's 100% what we were meant to be. We are created in the image of God, and he is 100% the image of God that we are meant to be, that if we will let him, that we are destined to be. He's going to make us be like him. So Jesus shows us who are we encountering. Jesus shows us what God is like and shows us what humanity is like, what we are meant to be. Jeff hands. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I'm an idiot. Uh, every, every encounter with Jesus shows us, including this story that we're about to read right here, it shows us where we have come from, this mysterious thing called life that we are all participating in day in and day out. Jesus shows us where we have come from, who created us, and also shows us what we are made for, who we are destined 
to be. And so that brings us to Luke chapter 22. Uh, this is an account of Jesus right before he's put through um, a trial. It's really kind of a mock trial. Which, hey, Ryan, hold. Um, someone who likes the rest of development, just like, yes. Um, he's put through a mock trial, and then he's um, tortured, beaten, and then executed. It's a real upper of a Sunday for us this Sunday. Um, this is the account right before all of that, him being arrested, chapter 22, starting in verse um, 47. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. For the, mo for the uh, disciples here, um, this is a moment of like chaos and confusion. Right, their friend, their teacher, their rabbi, they, uh, the one that they thought could be the, the Mashiach, the Christ, the king, the one who they thought was going to usher in the rule and reign of God's kingdom. Jesus is being arrested like, right in front of them. They're, this is a moment. This is an upper of a Sunday. This is a moment where dreams are coming crashing down, where it's not supposed to be this way. What is going on? And by the end of it, Jesus himself says, this is the hour when darkness reigns. And it's no wonder in the middle of all of this um, that you find, that you would find, it's in moments of darkness and confusion and chaos. It's in moments like these where you find scuffles, where you find like struggles and fights breaking out. In fact, in the middle of it, we, we heard it, it's kind of the, the, what we're focusing in on. Verse 50, um, one of the disciples, one of Jesus's companions, another gospel, John's gospel actually says that it was Peter. Peter pulls out a sword and takes a swing at someone. I, I hear the word sword and I immediately like think Braveheart, kind of like, you know, like a cleaver of a sword, like the long sword or something. And I, and I think, how in the world? I'm not sure if Peter was like an incredibly bad with that sort of sword or if he was like incredibly like, precise with, you know, he's got like surgical aim that he didn't like get the guy's head in. But the, uh, our assumptions actually like um, lead us astray right there. The word right here in Greek is actually makaira is what it is. It's um, where we get the, um, the English word machete is actually makaira. But it's, it's, but that gives you a little bit of a, it's less braveheart broadsword. And it's, a, it's getting to more like dagger ish length. And that, that makes sense, that like somehow in a scuffle, like you just got the side of a guy's face, you know, with some sort of knife or something like that. There's a struggle. 
Peter has a knife and he slashes a guy and he ends up hacking off this guy's ear. And in the middle of all this, Jesus cries out, no more of this, no more of this. And then he, verse um, 51, he touches this fella's like face. Maybe John actually says he picks up the ear and he um, heals him. He heals him in the middle of all of the darkness and chaos and confusion and violence. Jesus heals a guy. That's what Jesus is like. Jesus heals his enemy's ear. That's what Jesus does. That's an encounter worth looking at, isn't it? That's an encounter worth exploring for just a second. We might ask the obvious question, why does anyone with Jesus have a sword with them? What? I mean, that's a reasonable question for a starting place, isn't it? Like in the Sermon on the Mount, they just, they've heard this at some point, walking around with Jesus. Jesus is teaching his disciples, turn the other cheek. We are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. Why on earth does any of them have a weapon with them? And the answer, of course, is that Jesus asked them to bring one. What? Perplexing. You've got me, Brett. Let's explore this. If you, um, if you look about a dozen verses before where we are today, we find Jesus finishing um, the Last Supper, is what we call it. Um, he's finishing a meal with his disciples earlier that evening, and we hear a conversation going on between them. It's in verse 35. You hear Jesus say, Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you out, this is earlier in Luke's gospel. When I sent you out without purse or bags or sandals, you didn't have a backpack or a lunchable or anything like that. When I sent you out, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written... And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. It's at the instruction of Jesus that they have a sword with them. <laughs> and the disciples, like, they hear Jesus. They're like, grab a, they, they hear Jesus. Okay, it's time for, if, if we don't have a sword, we need to sell a cloak, we need to get a sword. And the disciples hear this, and they, they're like us. They love themselves in Second Amendment. They're like, oh, Jesus says, grab a weapon, bear arms. Okay, you don't have to ask them twice. Yeah, well, they got common sense, right? They're totally sensible people. They know that you got to be packing for a proper self-defense. We, we need a way to try to hurt those that are going to try to hurt us. They know that there's a particular kind of enemy that poses no threat. A dead enemy is the kind of enemy that... But notice, notice verse 37, why Jesus wants a weapon in the group. He says, so he can be numbered with the transgressors. The scroll of Isaiah says that I'm to be lumped in with the lawbreakers, with the villains, with the outlaws, with the lawbreakers. So somebody, somewhere, get a sword. 
It's, it's, like, um, it's like one of the moments that it, maybe Simon the Zealot, I don't know. They've just been waiting for this moment. He like opens up his cloak like a watch salesman. He's like, someone asked for us orgies. This, I happen to have some fashionable ones right here. This tunic has two swords. I've got more back at the end. And Jesus says, verse 38, Jesus says, good grief, that's enough. Man, you don't The sword, the dagger, the machaira, is for appearance only. It's for appearance only. It's like Jesus is planting evidence on himself, giving people a reason to arrest him, is what, is what seems to be going on here. But in the heat of the moment, Peter decides to start cutting and slashing. And it is in this moment, in this encounter, as an ear falls limp into the dirt and the leaves, that Jesus shows us what it's like to be God and what it's like to be human. Uh, slide one, Jesus shows us, he reveals a God who heals his enemies. A God who loves his enemies. That's the gospel, by the way. If you need to hear it this morning, it's really good news that God loves the people who hate him, who are working against him, who despise him, who want nothing to do with him, because that's us. At some point in our life, at some point in our week, at some point in our day, that's us working against God. God loves his enemies in all of their destructive, hateful violence, God always, already loves his enemies. God loves his enemies. God heals his enemies. We never earn the love of God. We never merit the healing of God. Whatever it is that you are looking for this morning from God, that you are aching for from God, whether it's love, mercy, forgiveness, peace, maybe direction in life, clarity about a certain situation, some kind of healing in your life, I have really good news that may frustrate you. Um, whatever you're looking for from God, you're never going to earn it. You're never going to merit it. You can stop trying to get in God's good graces. You can stop trying. To, you can rest. You can rest. The gospel invites us to see what God is like. God loves. God heals. God gives good gifts. And it's never because we have earned it. We could say it this way. Um, God gives good gifts, not because we are good, but because God is good. God gives good gifts, not because we are good, but because God is good. What does God do when an enemy gets hurt in front of him? Well, God replaces an ear. Someone who is actively attacking him, someone who's 
actively participating in systems of injustice and darkness and violence in the world. Someone who could not possibly be earning anything from God with their choices. Here's your ear back. Here. That's what God is like. I give good gifts, not because you are good, but because I am good. That's, breathe it in, my brothers and sisters. That's gospel. That's good news. In all our guilt, in all our shame, in all our sin that we carry in this morning, in all our darkness, God gives mercy. He gives mercy. God gives us healing. Whatever it is you're looking for from God, you are never going to earn it. Your cho- Don't misunderstand. Your choices in life may have left you without an ear. <laughs> and, and you may need to receive the gift of an ear before you can receive the gift of an earring. <laughs> there may be like things that have to happen before you... You may have to receive wholeness in some areas of your life before God can give you gifts in other areas of your life. But make no mistake, God just gives freely. That's what God is like. May that grant you rest. May you breathe it in. Look at Jesus again and again and again and learn to believe the good news. But this encounter isn't, it's not just like incredible news. It is gospel, but it's also an invitation. It's also like a a summons, a call to all of us. Because if God, if this is what God looks like, if if God is at his very heart is like this, we are to be the image of God. This is what true humanity looks like. When, When a human being reflects the image of God, it looks like Jesus. And so we could say it this way, um, Jesus reveals the truly human life strives to heal everyone, our enemies included. Jesus reveals the truly human life strives to heal everyone, our enemies included. And this is where like, we get really uncomfortable because this right here, This right here shatters every bit of common sense that we have about living in the world and dealing with enemies. This right here, we've got the same common sense that we're all laughing about with the disciples grabbing a sword, right? We've all got that common sense. We've all got the same instinct as the disciples. And it's a killer instinct, It's a killer instinct. We just know that we are going to find true life when our enemies lose. Maybe they'll lose an ear. Maybe they'll lose their job. Maybe they'll lose custody. My goodness, I hope they lose that argument. And I hope they lose their dignity. And God help me, I know it's, but I hope they're losing sleep every day night. We're all, we all share this instinct, don't we? Like we're sensible to know that I am going to find true life when my enemy loses. 
Because good grief, she had it coming. He had it coming, didn't he? I feel no sympathy for you or your stupid ear on the ground because you, that's where the decisions that you have been going have, are going to lead you. What did you think was going to happen with any of this? But where our instinct is to celebrate when others lose, Jesus' instinct is to strive for healing for everyone, our enemies included. We want them broken. Jesus wants them whole. Our instinct is like to defend ourselves at all costs, hacking and hurting and slashing to save ourselves. Jesus' instinct is to heal those wanting to hurt him. Where we rejoice in the death of the wicked, where we celebrate enemies finally getting what they deserve, when we're ecstatic when the axe finally falls and a piece of them falls with it, Jesus is replacing that peace. God is the one putting our enemies back together, whether we like it or not, because Jesus loves our enemies. Jesus replaces an ear. Jesus heals this servant of the high priest. Jesus loves him. The servant's name is Malchus, by the way. Our enemies have names and faces and families. Malchus, um, John is actually the one who gives us his name in John 18 when he gives the account of this. John's where we found out Peter's name too. And we found out that Peter's the guy with the, he's the disciple with the dagger. Oh, and the guy whose ear fell off. That was Malchus. That's, John's the same guy who tells us both of those things. And a lot of scholars think that this guy, Malchus, the servant of the high priest, who until recently didn't, he, he didn't have an ear and then, God, and then Jesus put it back, was actually one of the eyewitnesses from which John got his story. He's piecing together the story from Malchus and from Peter. And the reason you would name drop in an ancient document is so that somebody could go and check with Malchus, you know? Oh, Malchus, yeah, I know, he lives down the road. We can go ask him about this. I like to imagine uh, Malchus and Peter, like they're both sitting at the same table across from John, Telling the same story. Peter starts, he's like, I was the goof who was thinking that I could save the world by violence. And so I like pulled out my sword. No, wait, let me tell this part. Because it was my ear. It was my ear that you hacked off. And Jesus, Jesus gave it back. While I was lynching Jesus, he was replacing my ear. And that act of love... That act of healing, that act of giving while Jesus was under attack. I guess that's the reason I'm sitting here with, with Peter. Why we can sit at the... I, he was making things better while I was making things worse, Jesus was. And it changed my life. It changed my life. That's what the gospel does takes two people who are learning to live from Jesus 
it puts them at the same table and it makes friends out of enemies. The gospel, this is the power of the gospel. In the kingdom of Jesus, there is a particular kind of enemy who poses no threat. The enemy, now your friend. Not the dead enemy. The enemy, now your friend. Jesus, the truly human, human being, knows that the enemy is never going to be defeated by swords. Cycles of violence are never stopped with more violence. Violence is stopped when a cheek gets turned. Hatred is overcome never by more hatred. Hatred is overcome by love. Enemies are made friends by replacing an ear. An early Christian leader wrote, um, Paul, in the book of Romans, he wrote, overcome evil with good, is what he writes in Romans 12. Make things better when others are making things worse. Because that's what it looks like to reflect God's image. That's what it looks like to live a truly human kind of life. Jesus wasn't exaggerating. He was dead serious about us finding true life. And that's why he said, love your enemies. And so it begs the question this morning, who are your enemies? Who are our enemies? Who do, I know, this is the place, ugh. <laughs> like, no joke, do we want to find true life? Do we want to find true life? Who is it that we butt heads with? Who is it that secretly we're rooting against? Who is it that we want to lose? Who is that? Maybe before we even talk about like what it looks like to love our enemies, maybe before that, before we talk about loving them or working for their good or wanting them to be whole, maybe before we talk about doing anything, maybe Jesus just wants to shatter our assumptions. Maybe Jesus just wants to shatter our common sense for just a second about what the truly human life looks like, what we believe most deep down. Will we let ourselves be open to the possible, just cracked open just a second to the possibility that true life, that true humanity, that deepest joy will be found if our enemies could be turned into friends. Maybe we could just start there. Could we open ourselves up to that possibility? Peter and Malchus are celebrating the same story and they were brought together by the one wielding mercy instead of a machete. That doesn't mean, let's, that doesn't mean that we're always going to feel warm and fuzzy about enemies. It doesn't mean that. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that, that what they're doing is okay. 
or that we've just got to go along with it or just kind of, or that we got to stay in a particular situation. If you're in, let me just say this plainly. If you are in a damaging environment or in destructive patterns with other people or in an abusive place, God does not call us to stay in destructive places. True life and true love, loving destructive people calls for like a tremendous amount of wisdom because it, Love does not look like staying in destructive patterns or destructive places. To be truly loving to destructive people may mean that you have to separate yourself from that destructive person. If you're in an abusive relationship or situation, perhaps the most loving thing you can do for yourself and for the person for the, is to get out. Is to get out. God isn't calling us to keep having our bodies bruised. But God is inviting every single one of us to have our hatred crucified. That's what God is continually inviting us to do. And it's not that I need you to just keep getting banged around. I just need you to crucify that hatred in your heart. There are um, parts of us that have to die in order for our hands to be open to receive God's good gifts. Because as long as we keep clinging to hatred, we're never gonna have open hands to receive true and lasting life. Maybe um, we'll pray that God will show us and grant us wisdom on how to love our enemies and how to replace ears. Um, but before we do that, perhaps we just need to challenge our assumptions um, that you're going to finally win when they lose. Not going to happen. True humanity looks like loving and healing everyone, our enemies included. And so the, may we, this morning, may we be opened up to the true blissful and joyous life of God himself. May we believe the good news that God heals his enemies and gives good gifts because of God's goodness. And Lord, may you grant us wisdom on how to pierce the darkness of hatred, on how to carry the cross of love, on how to work for healing of all, even our enemies.